Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 248 of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Lime Resource, an interview with Gretel Adams. My name is Claire Dalton. And I'm Matt Sabatello. We really enjoyed our opportunity to interview Gretel this morning while she was able to tell us her story about when she contracted chronic Lyme disease. Gretel is obviously a really hard worker with a good work ethic, and she owns a flower farm. And when she got sick with chronic Lyme disease, that limited a lot of her abilities to run her farm, but she obviously didn't let it stop her. And she powered through all of the hardships that were in front of her and her suffering and her experiences with doctors. And we are so excited to be able to share her interview with all of you today. All right. Welcome Gretel. We are so happy to have you on the Tick Boot Camp podcast. And we're just going to jump right in and get started. And I want to know all about you to start. What? Tell me about your background. Where do you live? Where are you from? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, my name is Gretel Adams. I'm 36 years old. I live in Columbus, Ohio. My husband, Steve, and I own a flower farm where we grow cut flowers um, that we sell to florists uh, in Columbus, Ohio. So we have 20, 20 acres in production, but we're inside the like city limits. So we kind of say it's our piece of the country in, in the city. Um, yeah. So as far as the farm goes, you know, right now uh, we've built it up. We have about 20, 20 employees, um, sell mostly to florists. And yeah, I mean, growing up, I grew up in a, um, in a country suburb of Columbus, uh, Pataskala in Ohio. And um, my, my grandmother is from the Philippines, so I'm, I am a quarter Filipino, um, even though I, I don't look like it because I look like my dad, but um, that has been also a part of some of my like learning uh, about Lyme since I am like mixed. Um, so as far as growing up, I mean, I grew up in the country, in the woods. I grew up going to camp um, also. So like ticks have been in my awareness, you know, from the time I was a kid. Um, yeah, I think or there's other specific questions you had about. Yeah, I don't. We just my husband and I don't have any kids. Uh, the business is our child. And yeah, things we like to do for fun, go see music. And, you know, before we were farmers, we used to travel around to music festivals and stuff, but now we don't have time for that in the summer. So <laughs> that's so neat. So tell me a little bit about your tick knowledge. You said that, I mean, Ohio, according to my, my knowledge of Ohio, it's pretty much a tick state. So um, what, what is your knowledge that you had? Like, what did you, what did you know before Lyme disease? what you can do to protect yourself from, from ticks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, growing up, going to camp was, you know, you wear long sleeves and pants and a hat and you check yourself when you come, come home. I mean, we knew I, yeah, we knew it was something that you needed to like be aware of. Um, I don't know if I knew kind of like what the sickness meant before I was sick. Um, but I think that's why, like I was able to identify like this tick is attached enough. I need to deal with it. And then like when the bullseye started to develop, um, you know, 10, 10 days later after I knew I had a tick, it was like something I knew that needed addressed um, because, yeah, just because of my experience of being, being at camp and then being a farmer, 
Um, you know, there's, there's days where you're protected from the sun and you're fully covered. And there's days where it's over 90 degrees and that's like pretty unbearable. And so it's like, you know, there's kind of a balance of sometimes you're protected and some, sometimes you're not, um, just based on like the, you know, the work that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. I think it's so neat that you are a flower farmer. That's so unique. And I looked at some of your pictures and they're absolutely beautiful. I love your flowers Thank that you, you. Um, How long have you been in business as a flower farmer? This is year 16 for us. So we started farming when we were young. Um, I was a social worker before my degrees in psychology. Um, and I was a social worker before. So we always kind of say farming found us. So um my mom makes a joke because I used to hate mowing the lawn and she's like, I can't believe you're a farmer. I used to like hate mowing the lawn. I'm like, I still don't mow the lawn. Um, that's not like what makes me money. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so flowers kind of found us. I mean, the farmer we worked for the first year was a flower farmer and had been through, like had been, had an orchard and pick your own pumpkins and strawberries and grew vegetables. And, and so had landed on being a flower farmer. So that's kind of how we started with flowers. Um, our idea was to sort of live off of the land. So we had pigs, ducks, chickens, we grew vegetables. I made soap, we canned stuff, like did everything. And then um, as the business grew, uh, the focus narrowed and now, yeah, now just cut flowers, um, cut flowers to florists. We make bouquets for grocery stores. We have a farm stand here on the farm. So, you know, the business has evolved over the years. We used to do farmer's markets. We used to do weddings. Um, yeah. And as, as it's grown, we've been able to kind of focus what we do, um, which has been nice to feel like you don't have to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is so neat. And it's so similar to my family. We, we started out with just a hobby farm with some goats and now we have like every animal under the sun. And I'm like, now maybe we should be flower farmers. That's, that's so neat. <laughs> yeah. Um, the industry is growing right now. There's a lot, a lot of new folks getting into it. Um, yeah. In the nineties, this is just, this is a tangent, but in the nineties, our government subsidized coca farms to become flower farms and kind of killed the domestic flower industry. Um, so a lot of, a lot of flower farmers, a lot of flower farms in the U S went out of business at that point in time. So the industry is sort of rebuilding now with the awareness of people thinking about, you know, local food and, um, and just sort of thinking about where stuff is coming from, um, local flowers over the past, you know, few years or in, in our farming career, the, the demand has really grown and actually with COVID times, um, have become even more important because imports are harder to get in. So, um, so it's been, yeah, it's been cool to kind of see the industry grow. That is so neat. So, um, obviously you were in business before you got Lyme disease. So tell me about like your dreams, your goals, like what were you trying like your to pursue with your farm prior to Lyme disease? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, we never really knew that the farm would be what it is today. That's what people are like. Um, we're kind of, we're on like the the smaller the on the larger side of small or on the small side of medium I guess in the whole like scheme of things with flower farming but there's a lot of farmers that are kind of um more just like a couple acres and so sometimes people are like you know 
how did it get to the size that it is right now, the farm? And um, I just, I like to work hard and my husband's futuristic and has big dreams. And so that sort of um, grew it to what it is today. So our goal with the farm is just to spread the joy of flowers one, but two also to like provide a living for our employees. So, you know, it's been about not just us for a long time. And a lot of times on farms, you know, people aren't paid very well. So our goal, our goal with the farm, you know, we, I was told in the beginning, basically I was going to school to be a high school English teacher. I was, I was told to keep my day job that there's no way that as a couple, we could both work on the farm full time and like have a successful business. Um, and so I think those naysayers were kind of like what, what drove the farm to like what it is today um, to like show people and to show like our generation, like it is possible to like be a farmer and like um, that this is, this is like a path that is, you know, sustainable for a career and to like, yeah. And to have other people. So for us, it's kind of about, it's about the employees and knowing that we're like kind of providing a living for them and, um, yeah, so I'm grateful that the business was where it was when I got sick because we did have a team that was able to like absorb some of the things that I could no longer do. Um, yeah. And I think that when, when you're a farmer, part of it is just like pushing through, you know, like if rain's coming, it doesn't matter if you're tired or it's the end of the day, you have to like finish planting and, so I think that that mentality has served me, but also been um, also been hard to like uh, differentiate from where you're like, how, what level of like pushing myself is healthy versus not um, once I got sick, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, so I guess the, the goal would just be to like, I guess, be an example of like a sustainable, like farming business and not just sustainable, like in our growing practices, but like sustainable in that, like it is a business that can provide for the people who work for us to give back. It's everybody works hard. So we want to like be able to give back to them, you know, what they're giving to us. Yeah, for sure. That's fantastic. I love your work ethic. I love fighting against the naysayers. Good for you. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So tell me about when your symptoms started to develop. What happened? Um, What did you do? Yeah. So I was 33. It was um, May. So for us, Mother's Day is our biggest like floral holiday that we can hit in our flower season. So we had just like made it through Mother's Day. Um, It was a night that Steve and I were supposed to pick peonies. So peonies are something, if it's hot, they like, they blow up and they need picked when it's like not actual work hours. But we went out to dinner instead and then a storm happened. And so I still had my skirt on from dinner and we took a walk through the peonies to kind of see if there was any damage from the storm. Um, that night I found a tick on me when I went to sleep. So I knew that it was like attached enough that I needed to like deal with it. Um, and so I got up and took the tick off and like I said, grew up going to camp. So hadn't really like, I knew to like be aware of it, but it didn't, 
didn't really freak me out, I guess, at that point. Um, 10 days later, I started to get the bullseye rash. The, the tick bite kind of itched like a mosquito bite, which I thought was weird because it didn't usually, you know, didn't usually kind of have like re residual or whatever. Um, so 10 days later, I had the bullseye. I called my doctor. This was on a Wednesday. And she said, I can't get you in until Monday. You should be fine. But if you start to feel worse, you know, go to the ER. Um, so by day 13, like by that Friday, I was, I was at the urgent care um, because I was in the field and the sun like was making me weak and I could just sort of feel toxins like in my, I could, my fingers were tingly and I could feel toxins like flowing through me and I knew like something wasn't right. Um, so I went to urgent care. He immediately like saw the bullseye and was like, yeah, it's Lyme. Here's 10 days of doxy. Um, you need to go to your regular doctor. So I went to my, um, like primary care physician and let her know what was going on. Um, she gave me up to day 21. So, you know, 11 more days basically of antibiotics. And at the end of that, I was not okay. So, I had a farmer friend who had 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 an experience with Lyme and he um, suggested that I like you suggested some resources for me. So I had been doing I had been doing some research before we went back into the doctor at that point. Um, and so she said, you know, that she looked up and the CDC said that after that I should be fine. And there's no way that I could be experiencing the symptoms that I was. And uh, was sort of had to just deal with what remains is, is what she said. And um, my husband was like, that's not an acceptable answer. Like she's not okay. I mean, at that point I couldn't like word recall was not like, yeah, that's why he had to go with me because like, I just didn't, I didn't have the words to really like advocate for myself. Um, I couldn't really look at a screen um, my head would like physically hurt the ringing in my ears sort of felt like a force field around my head. Um, and I couldn't like walk out in the field. So, you know, for us, it was something, our most enjoyable time is after work, you have a beer and you walk through the field and you kind of brainstorm about, you know, what needs done, um, prioritizing and like that kind of stuff. And that's kind of where our best like ideas come from. And, I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't my, I would walk to one end of the field and my husband would have to like pick me up in the truck and take me to the next field over for me to be able to walk down that field. Um, yeah. So it was like, it was really intense at that point. I mean, I would wake up, make the list for the crew of what I knew needed to happen, see them off in the morning, go check in with the office and then sleep until after lunch and then come out and kind of check in again. Um, that sort of went on for like six months from like May through September. Um, okay, so, so go back, day 21, go back to the doctor. She says she can't do anything else. She ends up saying like, I'll give you until day 30 if that'll make you happy, like before we leave, just because that was, you know, we were trying to like share with her resources and whatever. Um, and she had contacted the infectious like disease person. And so we'll get through day 30 and she's like, you know, kind of refuses to do anything else. And so at that point, that's when I post to social media and just like say, Hey, this is what's going on. 
um, like, you know, I have Lyme and I'm not able to access anything. Um, you know, having a social work background, I think part of my, I like to like gather resources and like have information and like be able to share that with people. And, um, so there were multiple people that reached out to me that either had Lyme themselves that commented, you know, on my stuff and were willing to like talk to me or like friends of friends, um, you know, and I was like, just really touched by people who uh, were complete strangers who would like share with me their whole life story. And I think hearing them talk about like symptoms and just acknowledging it was like, okay, like I'm not alone in this and I'm not like crazy and wanting to like advocate for myself to have more care. And, um, so I learned about a doctor here in Columbus, but it took me a couple months to like get in with him. Um, so, and so, while, while you were waiting to get in with him, were your symptoms getting progressively worse at this time? Yeah. Yeah. Because like I, it got to a point where I was like, I was having episodes where I was having like tremors um, and yeah, like, like heart palpitations and like anxiety attacks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, and I knew that the, the, you know, the doctor appointment was coming and that he was a Lyme guy. And, but at that point I had called around, I mean, I thought that I was going to have to go somewhere. We have farmer friends in different places. So people were like, you can come stay with us in Georgia, or you can come, come stay with us in DC or whatever. And, just the thought of like not being home and not being with my husband, like for support was a lot. And I knew, um, if I could do it here, I would rather do it here first, um, to kind of exhaust the resources I have to be able to sleep in my own bed, um, before I do that. So, so I got in with the doctor, but he was, he did the hygienics test. Um, so that was the first time I was actually tested and um, found that I had three rings and he said, you know, you would be negative at a standard doctor because you have to have five, but these three are pretty significant. Um, so then he does the, um, the testing that he did was called a meridian stress assessment where they like hold, you hold a metal rod in one hand and then they use another metal rod to sort of touch your reflexology points and then read the frequencies And yeah, when I was like explaining this to like my mom and other people, I was like, I know that it sounds like really woo woo, but it's like, at this point, I don't care. Like I'm willing to do anything to figure out what's going on and like move forward with my healing. Um, and so at that point he found out, we discovered that I had Epstein-Barr, I had Babesia, um, I get cold sores. So like my herpes, the herpes virus was high. I also had, um, heavy metal toxicities and, um, an amoeba from, so we have well water here. And I think that's also maybe where some of the heavy metal, um, toxins were coming in. There are, we don't use like, um, we don't use fertilizers and pesticides and stuff that, that would, have heavy metals that would be in the water table, but there is agriculture around us and our, um, our well is pretty shallow. Our water table is really high around here. So it's only about 25 feet. So it's not, the water isn't very filtered. There's a lot of like minerals and stuff in it. So, um, 
So from that point, once we got that diagnosis, this was in late August. So early September, I started taking um, medication. Um, I forget what it was called, but like an anti-malarial um, medication for Babesia and that. And so in September, you know, everything, you always get worse before you get better. But um, so I had a really, really intense, like couple weeks where my body literally felt like it was trying to like squeeze something out. Like I was having like, um, like muscle, like my muscles would like contract and then sort of release. And I would have these like episodes where it was like, it literally felt like my body was trying to like wring something out of it. <laughs> um, and I think that was, you know, finally getting rid of the, the Babesia, like with the anti-parasitic stuff. And I think that that's why I wasn't healing in the beginning was because that wasn't being treated, you know? Um, so from about May through September, which is a pretty important time in a farm season, you know, I was not able to really do anything. I'd really, I mean, like I said, I'd wake up and, you know, help plan and stuff like that. So I was still like engaged, but my husband was like, you know, Emily, our manager, he was like, Emily and I are making decisions that you'd usually be a part of. And I was like, well, you, you have to, like, I literally don't have the capacity to be able to like be involved with all of this decision-making. Like I, and I couldn't look at an Excel spreadsheet. So like, you know, a lot of my um, roles on the farm are like the planning and ordering and inventorying like I do a lot of work um like you know in excel and kind of on the computer to sort of like make make all the harvesting and stuff happen um but yeah so September I finally started to like have a bit of like a breakthrough where it was like oh okay like I can you know I could walk in the field again um yeah, typically for us, frost happens like the middle of October. And so that means like the end of the outdoor flowers. And I just remember it was, you know, the end of September. So we only had like a couple weeks left and just being like so sad and like not ready. You know, I'd spend as much time out in the field as I possibly could just because I was just like not ready. I felt like I hadn't like been involved for that whole season pretty much. And, um, yeah, I think just like learning, learning to communicate with the team about like what was actually going on with me since it is like invisible, you know, and, um, yeah, communicating with my husband. Um, we, we joke now and say like, you know, we've, now we've got practice for when we get old of like <laughs> how, how to, take care of each other and like communicate better about it. I mean, we're still, still learning, but I remember one of my very, my very first Lyme friends that talked to me, you know, talking about the effect that it had on her relationship and saying like, you know, if you can, if you can learn to communicate, whether that means you need to go to therapy or whatever, like that's the most important part. And I think that having a business together and having, having had already having to learn, you know, some of that already, um, this was on a completely like different, different level though, you know, I think because I was always, you know, I was raised to, 
I was raised to push through. I had to be, I was not allowed to not go to school if I didn't feel good, you know, like, uh, so it was a part of my, part of my upbringing to push through and then being a farmer, you know, part of that, like pushing through. And so really seeing that, like, if I did that, I would experience a crash and like being real with myself about what my limitations should be. And, and once I started to feel better too, I also like, sometimes you get caught up in the adrenaline of like actually being able to do something, you know, where I'm like, it, where Steve would be like, you know, you're not, you shouldn't be out there lifting those crates. And I'm like, yeah, but the fact that like, I can actually do, do this right now is like, feels so good that, you know, sometimes you ride that adrenaline rush and then you end up having a crash at the end. But I think that the Lyme battle for me has been just as much mental as it has been physical. I think being someone who your identity is what you do physically with your body and then not being able to do that thing um, was, there was a lot of, yeah, I mean, I had an identity crisis basically. It was just like, well, who am I if I'm not a farmer, if I can't actively be a partner like in the business or I felt like I wasn't contributing to like my marriage, you know, it's like, if I'm not like a wife and a partner and farmer or whatever, like what, you know, what am I? And sort of having to like redefine, yeah, what it meant to be me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I definitely relate to that. I think a lot of Lyme disease people relate to that. So just before I pass the mic over to Matt here to ask you some questions, I just want to go back just a little bit. So yeah, while you were going through this process, how many doctors did you end up going to throughout this process? Well, there was the urgent care doctor that diagnosed me, my regular doctor that wouldn't do anything. And then my first Lyme doctor, I'm now on my second um, my second Lyme doctor. Um, so I guess I've, I've seen four. I mean, my, my physician did like uh, contact the infectious disease doctor, but I, I didn't see him personally. Um, yeah. So I'm grateful that I like found the Lyme community and was able to um, connect with a Lyme doc, with a Lyme literate doctor pretty early in the, in the, um, yeah, in my journey. But yeah, that still doesn't mean it was easy. Like, even though I had the bullseye, you know, and that's something that like, you know, I listen to the podcast and hear everyone's stories. And it's like, I am grateful that I knew I had a tick and that I had a bullseye. Like there was a defining moment that was kind of like, you know, that identified like the acute episode. And, um, but now that I like, here I've heard Matt say on the podcast, you know, like it being like a collection of things that have happened. And, you know, I remember having a tick one of the times when I was at camp that was in my ear. And so nobody saw it until my mom came to pick me up like on the weekend. So it was like, who knows like how, how long it was there and like was engorged. And, you know, you sort of think back about these things. We went to Puerto Rico probably five years ago um, and our mosquito net wasn't closed. And when I got back, I had vertigo for a month that was never like diagnosed. And, you know, a few, and then I also had, you know, unidentified stomach issues where we were testing for thyroid 
and that's not what it was. And, you know, had no answers at that point. So it's like, I did have this, you know, a, acute episode that I knew was, you know, what started, what, what was the beginning of my discovery about it, but it is kind of like looking back, like who, who knows if some of those other things like were a part of, you know, either what made my body vulnerable enough at that point to like suffer such a severe infection or now knowing what I know, you know, with my second Lyme doctor, we've done a lot more testing um, and have found like Q fever and dengue fever and two different kinds of pneumonia and like mycoplasma and all of these things that she's saying, like she's seeing old antibodies and new, which means at some point in my life, I had those before and they've been reactivated. So it's like, I don't remember having mono when I was a kid, but potentially I had what we thought was the flu and it was just like never diagnosed or, you know, like who, who knows? So it's like now knowing what I know about how things continue to live in your body. It's like, I don't, you know, who knows if there was a point before this where, where Lyme was a part of it. I don't, I don't have that answer. Yeah. That is so relatable. Me and my mom are always thinking back and like, when did this really start? When did it really start? And I think a lot of Lyme disease people do that. Um, I just want to ask one more question. You talked about Meridian stress assessment Mm -hmm. and that you went and had that done. I think it would be very good for our viewers to know, like, where did you go to have that done? That's a huge part of my healing journey is Meridian stress assessment. Um, but for me in Utah, it was really hard to find someone that would do that. Like we mm-hmm. basically heard about it from someone that was like a doctor that was like traveling like to Utah that wasn't even from Utah. So like which doctor was it Lyme literate, a holistic mm-hmm. doctor? Where did you go to get that done? So I saw Dr. Larry Everhart. He's in Powell, Ohio. Um, and he was originally, you know, just a, a primary care physician, just a general practitioner. Um, and 20 years ago, his wife got Lyme. And so this was something that he heard about in their research. And he said, you know, at that point in time, everybody, this doctor who did that test, everybody talked about how he was crazy, but all of his patients were getting better. And so he started doing that in his practice, basically to heal his wife was like how, how it started. Um, yeah. So, and I think, you know, we learned, we learned a lot, I think. Um, and I know people who have seen him and, you know, felt, felt healed when they were finished or, you know, in remission. Um, he was continuing, I had been on antibiotics for over a year and he was kind of continuing for that to be, the method and I, my body was sort of feeling like it needed a break. So, um, you know, I wanted to try something more herbal and, um, my gut, I was having issues. I had an IUD. So this is another, another thing that I think maybe isn't talked about very much in the Lyme community. People talk about like metal in your body or whatever, but, but I had an IUD and I was having really bad like yeast infections from being on antibiotics and, um, no one could really, Dr. Everhart didn't really want to talk about kind of like female issues. Um, and 
or I just wasn't comfortable talking with him about it. I'm not really sure. Um, and I was kind of like in between doctors with the OBGYN. So like I went to Planned Parenthood and they diagnosed it, but then my regular OBGYN was like, well, that's not what we're seeing. And so I was taking Diflucan and kind of like trying to, trying to fight it. And so I got my IUD removed, um, and found out that it was like, it was actually bacterial infections that was happening and not necessarily yeast infections. And so I think that's why like the Diflucan wasn't, wasn't really helping as much as they thought it was going to, but getting the, I had a copper IUD, getting the IUD out, like made a huge difference. Um, and so I wanted to sort of have like a period where it was just like cleanse, cleansing, um, myself and not being on antibiotics. And so that's when I switched, switched doctors because I found about, found out about another doctor who was in Ohio, um, that, and somebody said, you know, when you, I heard when you go in her house, you have to take off your shoes and it's all about like energy and people call her the witch doctor. And was like, okay, that's where I want to (laughs) go. So, um, and I had heard about a couple of people who had seen her who felt like they were healed afterwards. And so, so I started with Dr. B um, uh, in January of last year and also started uh, hyperbaric oxygen treatments. Um, and so I went through, we started with ozone and I was trying to do ozone actually there's, so we, we have Fridays off in the winter. So I was trying to like do my ozone treatment on Thursdays and have Friday, Saturday, Sunday to kind of like heal and then be ready for work on Monday. Um, and that wasn't really happening. It was like, it was too intense and it wasn't enough healing time. And I wasn't really feeling that, um, sort of like feeling better after feeling worse that I had experienced with other stuff with Lyme. And so we decided to go with the oxygen treatments. So I kind of like went herbal and went to the oxygen treatments at the same time. Um, did mold remediation in my house. Um, we got water filters for the shower and a new reverse osmosis system, like for drinking water, just trying to really like winter is my time being a farmer cyclically winter is my time to sort of focus on healing more. Um, so I was doing the oxygen treatments, but that was, it was four days a week and took, you know, three hours because it was like 90 minutes at the, at the deep dive or whatever that, that pressure. Um, and it takes a long time to get up to that pressure for, to manage your eardrums and, Um, and then I was doing sauna afterwards and, and I could feel things releasing like in the sauna, you know, there'd be times where I was, I was like breaking down, like just crying in the sauna and I could just like feel, feel things releasing that I had been holding on to for a very long time. Um, I think the mold remediation helped as well. We live in a house that was built in 1928. And when additions were made to the house, airflow, I don't think was considered. Um, So, you know, the basement had mold and the attic had mold. Um, So I was doing that for a while and then the farm season hit. So I quit doing the oxygen treatments. 
we did all the tests where we found that I had Q fever and dengue fever and, you know, all of those things that I sort of listed off. So went back on to antibiotics at that point. It's still, it still have, you know, a, a big herbal protocol. Um, and this winter, my focus, I decided to focus on the mental health um, part of my healing. So I think that, um, you know, I've listened, listened to podcasts and just other resources where people talk about that being, that being an essential piece of the puzzle. And, um, yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. So on antibiotics, still doing lots of herbal supplements, de the detox stuff is the hardest for me just because it has to be on empty stomach and, it's hard to like figure out how to fit that into your life sometimes. Um, so we did buy a sauna for our house, which has been really nice. And I have to pay to go somewhere like an infrared. Um, so this winter I've been doing the infrared sauna and um, my husband and I are in couples therapy and I'm also in like personal therapy. And that has been really helpful also. So I mean, there's been, been a lot of things like in the journey. I feel like everyone's story that I've heard that I've listened to the podcast, it's like pieces of a puzzle that are going together to figure out what, what works for you. Like there's no like silver bullet answer. So still in the discovery process and trying to figure all that out. Good. I have so many follow-up questions with you yeah. and Claire. I mean, it was brilliant. You gave us so much good information, but I just, I want to follow up on a few of those items. So, you know, this whole mental health component and the emotional component, you really talked about in great detail. And thank you for being so open and honest and vulnerable with us about that, because I know it can be a hard thing to share, but you, you know, you, you did mention that Lyme disease is as much mental as it is physical. You said earlier, then mm -hmm. you said when you were doing the sauna, you had this emotional release. So, you know, what are your thoughts about these the emotional complications to healing, because we've heard people tell us that if you don't address your emotions and if you can't feel your emotions and you can't express your emotions, it's going to inhibit healing. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah, definitely. I mean, and there are things like, I didn't even know that these things were stored inside of me still, you know, it's like, sometimes I feel something released that I'm like, whoa, that's been there like my whole life, you know, or like, I've never, I've never felt this kind of like, openness in my chest before or whatever. Um, and so it's been really interesting for me. It's like, now that I have the body awareness that I've gained through being sick with Lyme, it's, I can, I can feel the difference physically in the like mental health stuff that I've been, been working on. Um, you know, you kind of like, you take, you take trauma that has happened to you and you're just like, okay, I'll like store that there in my body. Um, I'll compartmentalize this situation and hold it in the back of my shoulder or in my neck or in my chest or, you know, wherever it is that you hold those things. So like part of the work that I've been doing with my therapist is like, you know, when you feel something like actually like doing a body scan and like figuring out like where it is in your body that you're feeling that. So something that I've learned is that you know, I have had to, I bottle my emotions up. I'm pretty like neutral, you know, in the, in the face of crisis or whatever, like I'm pretty neutral and that's because like, I'm holding it all inside. And so for me, a lot of my 
stress and um, trauma is, you know, held in my chest and, and in my throat and like kind of in the back of my neck, you know, with Lyme also with the back of your neck, like um, you hold, hold things there, the bacteria and stuff. So, so lymphatic drainage massage and cupping have also been like an essential part of that to like actually get, try to get some of those um, you know, going through the, the mental health part of it, going through the therapy to like release and, and then using the sauna and like lymphatic drainage massage and cupping to sort of like help sort of get those things out that you've just released from your body. So girl, do you think that it's a crossover or a mix or a blend of physical and emotional, meaning that your emotions are causing you to have real physical things because we hear from many people that they have real problems, inflammation in specific parts of their body, or they have, you know, they constantly get herniated discs in their back. Do you think that those physical presentations are possibly a result of, you know, emotions that are being stored up? And we know when we get emotional or if we bottle up our emotions, we can get tense and we do things physically that can then trigger those types of things. So I think they're so interwoven, those two things. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that it's really just purely emotions and mental health? Or do you think that there's a physical overlap or cause and effect scenario there as well yeah I think they're very intertwined I think that one and and that's why this winter I chose to focus on the mental health piece is because I knew you know gratitude and mindset are the like the antidote but it's like it's easy to hear that and not feel it you know it's like you can say that but you have to like believe in yourself and like trust trust yourself. I don't know. I'm, I'm still in the process of working through like all of that. So I feel like it's, it's pretty new, but these are just things that I've been working on of like, um, yeah, it's not the mindset switch is not just like, you can't just like snap your fingers and that that's like what, what you believe, you know, you've got to like work towards, um, yeah, work towards trusting yourself. I know I'm kind of giving us a, a, you know, a spoiler alert here, but I know you're, you're over 70% recovered today, but I want to, I want to focus on, you know, you were really sick and you've made some major progress here. And you did talk to us about the struggle that your health had on your marriage and your relationship. And you mentioned that you're in couples therapy, that you're, 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 you're going to therapy for yourself personally. What other things have you done? And you also talked about communication as well being an important part of maintaining a healthy marriage. But what other things have you done? Because we, we constantly get this question, Gretel, and it, you know, it varies in the way it's presented, but it's always, I'm not worthy of a relationship, or my boyfriend slash girlfriend is leaving me, or I'm in a marriage and I'm close to divorce because this illness has ruined our marriage, but yet you've been able to overcome that. So how have you been able to, how have you been able to do that? What tips and advice can you give people that are listening that are really struggling to maintain either intimate relationships or marriages as a result of their chronic Lyme disease? Oh, that's a tough question. I don't know if I really have the answers. I mean, I'm grateful that my husband was so, is so supportive. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, there are definitely times where it would be, I would feel my sickest and that's when we would argue the hardest to be honest with you is because like, I didn't know how to communicate that that's what I was feeling. And I felt a lot of guilt and shame about not being able to be in the relationship as I was before. 
which would lead to me getting defensive. And um, yeah, there were definitely some, there were definitely some big fights in the process. And there were times where I would say, which I was wrong, but I would say, you know, sometimes I think it'd be easier if I was single. And it's like, I went through, I had COVID. I went through isolation where I was literally by myself for 10 days, like in a different house and felt terrible and had nobody there. And that showed me like, I didn't want to be by myself. (laughs) You know, I learned it it gave me, it gave me an appreciation of, um, yeah, of him being there through, through the hard times. And I think honestly, the business is kind of what helps, helped like hold it together because it was like, we have to, this is our, it's, this is our livelihood and other people depend on us. And so we have to like learn how to communicate to get through this, to like hold it together. Um, yeah, I think that my, my husband had also been previously through therapy and so was open to talking about stuff. He's actually way better at talking about feelings and stuff than I am. So I think that he helped kind of bring some of that out in me and also learned to kind of give me space sometimes when I needed it. So there would be, you know, I've been doing like CBD Epsom salt soaks. I decided I'm not calling them a bath because I'm not in there to like bathe and like, it's enjoyable. It's like an actual, like medical, like I need, my body hurts and I need to like soak in Epsom salt. So, um, that's brilliant by the way. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That's great. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, So yeah, I, you know, like he would give me space and go out to the barn and hang out by himself and sort of like, let me have, because our house is small. So like, sort of let me have the house or, um, yeah, there'd be times where I'd say to him, you know, like, I feel like I need to just like be in a room with no other stimulus and just kind of feel my feelings because like so much of my day was just kind of not really acknowledging how I was feeling and kind of powering through and then I'd get to like time to go to sleep and then I wouldn't be able to sleep because you'd be processing everything that happened during the day and and just like how your body actually felt and what you did that was too much and what you should have done differently and all of that and so like yeah sort of giving me time to just like lay in a dark room by myself and cry it out. I don't know. <laughs> and well, I, I do want to push you a little bit, on this, because I don't think you're being fair to yourself on this. We've interviewed so many people who've had a common interest, like a business to mm-hmm. stay together and overcome their illness. And yet their marriage has failed and they're no longer together because they, they unfortunately were not able to overcome the challenges due to chronic Lyme disease. So I think that there's more here and you're kind of being a little humble about it. And I want to just get your thoughts on it. I mean, look, you were in therapy, you were in couples therapy, your husband has had gone to therapy in the past. You were open to these techniques. You're communicating with your husband, what your needs are. I need to be left alone. I can't mm-hmm. be stimulated and you need to give me my space. Your husband is learning and growing with you and your, your constant communication and growth emotionally has allowed you to probably have a strong relationship. And yes, mm-hmm. there probably were hard times when you were, and look, you're human, you're sick. If you're saying things you regret, that's life, right? Where nobody's yeah. perfect. But I think you need to be reflect back on what happened and realize how strong you are and your husband is to get through this because not many couples can get through a chronic Lyme disease journey. And I think that is much more than just your business that held you guys together throughout all this. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I mean, I think that 
Yeah. I think that him being supportive and just like, now that I look, you know, now that I look back now that we're like reflecting, you're like, wow, like that really was. And, and I think when you're sick too, and he's like, this is hard for me too. And you're like, like, it's, you know, it's hard to see each other's perspectives of like how it could be harder for him than it is for me when I'm the one like experiencing the symptoms, but it is also like affecting his life. And, you know, like we, I joke, but it's not really a joke, but like, you know, I was sick. I was really sick for a year before COVID happened. And so I'm like, oh, I was already like living this lifestyle of like not going out and like not seeing people and not being able to do the things that I used to be able to do. And so we were like, well, me being sick with Lyme kind of like prepared us for COVID times because we were already like living day by day and having to like take what we could and um, just be grateful for like what we could accomplish. I don't know. So yeah, I mean, I'm super grateful for him and the support that he gave me through the process. And, um, yeah, I think that, I think that we're stronger now because of it. I think that, you know, when people say, I think there's like a gushy where they're like, Oh, we love each more every day, each other more every day. And it's like, the reality of that is like, you've been through some really hard things and you've had to learn how, like you've had to grow together in order to like make it through. And that's why like your relationship is stronger. It's like, it's not just like an ooey gooey, like, Oh, we love each other more each day. It's like, we've learned a lot about each other through this process and um, yeah. And so that's why like the relationship is stronger is because then you, you take that into the next hard thing that you deal with and learn about, you know, how to, how to work together. And, you know, we've been together for a long time. I was 19 when I met him. So was in 2005 so if we've been together now for for 16 years and so um you know you either grow grow together or you grow apart I think when you've when you meet somebody that young and and so I think the fact that we we've already like been been through that you know the farm we were young when we started farming too and so in the beginning you know I used to resent the farm for making me grow up now I'm grateful that the business is where it is today so that it could, you know, absorb me being sick and needing my role to change and stuff. Um, yeah. So I think that a this, lot of the struggles so, that we've been through kind of in that way sort of helped like prepare us too. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt again, Gretel. I just, I just, again, I don't think you're being fair enough to yourself. You're, <laughs> you're, you're identifying circumstances which resulted in your successful relationship and business. And it wasn't the yeah. circumstances. It's you, it's your husband. It's the way you've communicated. It's the way you've been able to identify how to overcome these, these horrible, horrible obstacles put in front of you because of this disease. So yes, were some, you know, situations put out in your favor. Some, maybe you started your business early. Many other obstacles were thrown your way that nobody else has to experience. So I think, again, yeah. reflect on that. It's not just because you started your business early that you're successful today. You would have been successful today regardless of when you started your business because of how you are and who you are and your and your drive, right? I mean, one of the yeah. things that I well, accredit... Yeah, and again, I, I, I feel rude interrupting, but I just felt so no, passionate fine. to tell you, like, it's, you're, you're not being fair to yourself. And, you know, you, you, here we are, you know, you know, you're talking about, well, why are you successful in your marriage? This is a really important topic. So you, you told Claire earlier that you like to gather resources and that as soon as you got sick and you were treated with antibiotics and you weren't better, the first thing you did is 
you contacted your farm friend who had experience with Lyme disease and you said, give me all the resources you have so I can learn about this. And the more information and knowledge you arm yourself with, the better you are to communicate and figure out what you need to do to get better. And I think that helped your marriage as well. That helped you in your healing journey. So mm-hmm. on that note, can you just share with us, do you recall some of the resources that your friend shared with you? What, what were they websites? Were they books? Were they blogs? Were they studies? Were they doctors? What kind of resources were shared with you early on that helped you gain all this knowledge to move forward and continue to heal despite your doctor telling you, according to the CDC, you're healed. And I don't believe that you're still sick, which is ridiculous. Yeah, um, there was a movie now I forget what it was called under my skin that was suggested to me. That was also like very terrifying at the time because I had only been sick for, you know, a couple of weeks. And I was just like, ah. so now when I like refer that to people, I'm like, make sure you watch part two. Cause that's like where like the successes happen and you're like, oh, okay. Like that is, I can like heal from this. Um, Cause it's kind of scary in the beginning to just, I think to learn to learn that you need to be your own advocate and that doctors don't know everything, you know, was a big, uh, was a big like learning thing for me. And also to learn like how political or, you know, bureaucratic, like just like trying to, to get access to care was, I wasn't really prepared for that. When I got sick, I had no idea that it was, that it was like that. And so I think that's why my friend, um, Steve and Mandy from Three Porch Farm, they had both experienced it. And I remember his first email to me was sent like double spaced. And he, and it said like, I know that reading from screen can be hard for Lyme people, you know? And so that's why, and I, and that was like, even that little thing where you're just like, oh, wow. Like he totally gets it. Like, because even the email with the resources that he sent to me was like, was double spaced. So yeah, watching under my, under my skin, um, was the first thing that I did. Um, Dr. Steven Phillips and, and Dana Parrish, like had some YouTube videos. So watching those things, um, and I think just like hearing people's stories. So that's how I found, um, my friend Deanna is how I found, uh, Dr. Everhart, she had done uh, hyperbaric. And so that's kind of, that's how I found that like resource doing the ozone and stuff. Um, she had tried this, like um, this brain pill that was basically like cow, cow brain. And so the idea was like, you know, you, you ingest something healthy of that organ of the thing that's bothering you the most. I mean, she's, Deanna was kind of my like guiding light. She would send me things in the mail, like, you know, things that I should try, or if I was having, I was having a lot of inflammation and really high pain and um, didn't have a doctor at that point. So she was, she sent me, was it naltrexone? I think that you take it a low dose to like help with inflammation. And so it was like, when I didn't have a doctor, I mean, just, ha- I think having a shoulder to cry on too was like a huge part of just, and that's, that's what Deanna was for me. She was just like, call anytime. Like, even if it's just to like, you know, just cause you need somebody or whatever. And, and again, I didn't know her. It was just, I posted on social media and she responded on Instagram and, and that's how we met. And Um, yeah, I think that, I think in the beginning conversations that I had with Lyme people, the biggest, 
like takeaways for me. I talked to a girl who was in her young twenties and, you know, had been sick. She got sick when she was a teenager. And, and she said to me that you can, you can either pause your life completely and give yourself a hundred percent to your healing, or you can do what you can and know that it's going to take longer because it, it may take longer to heal, but your life is still intact at the end. And I think for me, I like needed to hear at that point, you know, I was like, do I need to go away and like be in some kind of inpatient like treatment or whatever. And so it was just like hearing she was so like young at that point and had dealt with Lyme at so young. And, and, but like that, like statement was like, was so wise of just like, you know, kind of figuring out what your, what the balance is of like how much, cause I knew I couldn't just like Lime can be a life interrupter. And I had talked to people before who were like, yeah, I had to quit my job and move home. And um, yeah, just trying to figure out like what level of that worked for me. So I feel like that, that piece of advice was like, uh, was something that helped like guide me. And also the lady who told me, you know, that her, her relationship suffered because of it. I think just like having that awareness of like, I knew that I didn't want that to be the result of my illness, you know? And so really like putting, putting focus on that. Um, yeah, I got Dr. Buhner's like herbal book. Um, I was suggested to an herbalist. I did some, some muscle testing. Um, that's how I found out, um, that my diet should be different. So I'm still not the best at it, but I'm um, dairy, gluten, soy, um, and sugar are, I say gluten light. So I'm not, <laughs> not to totally, but, you know, learning that stuff through muscle testing and the, the metal toxicity. Um, so yeah, I feel like there's been lots of little pieces of advice that have sort of come kind of at the right time where you're just like, Oh, I'm ready for the next thing. And, you know, Deanna was always would if when I asked her you know I think I'm ready to like switch doctors and she's like that's if that's what your body is telling you you know just just always being reinforced that it's like you are the one who knows like you are the one who knows what your body needs and um so I think having that support from her having been through the the experience was really was really important. Um, yeah. And I think, and then I, you know, posting on social media, whenever I post and talk about it, it's other people reach out and I like to gather resources. And so if someone says, you know, I'm a Lyme warrior too, or whatever, then I'm like, please like DM me your story. Cause I would love to like hear more. And if there are resources, so yeah, I'm still open to, um, yeah, still open to suggestions and I'm willing to like, try, try things. If people say that it's something that worked for them. 
I think it's beautiful though how you've come full circle and Claire's going to talk to you a little bit about this in a little bit, but how you were the one reaching out for support and you had Deanna, you had this young woman, you had this other, this other woman to talk to you about relationships and how your journey was made a little bit easier because of them. And now mm-hmm. today you're doing that for others. I mean, that's a really beautiful part of your story that we're going to get to in a little bit. And, you know, one of the things I do want to talk about is because that young woman who gave you that advice about you can let Lyme, you know, basically stop your life and interrupt your life or, and, and heal quicker or, continue your life and maybe prolong your treatment a little bit. I just, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I wanted to dig a little bit deeper because you did share with us earlier with Claire that you felt like Lyme took away your identity and you, you had to redefine your identity. You were a farmer, you were a wife, right? You were all these things and you felt like they were taken away from you even when you were trying to persevere and do them anyway, based on this young woman's guidance to you. So do you think that there's that, you're going to be different regardless because of what you've been through, but you want to be able to maintain as much of you as possible. Just give us a little bit more about that because I I struggle with that concept of most of us when we're through this journey are better refined versions of ourselves, but it sounds like you were trying to grasp onto who you were and not lose that as well. So does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely letting go also and knowing, knowing that I couldn't be, out in the field harvesting all day and knowing that I couldn't lift all the crates that I used to be able to lift or, um, you know, that an intense day might mean that I am going to crash afterwards and just sort of like, um, coming to a realization about that with myself and sort of allowing myself the grace to like need more rest And that's something I still struggle with now because I want to be out there with the team doing the hard thing. Um, I don't want to be just the one like managing and just like setting it up and walking away and being like, okay, you guys can let me know when you're done with this hard thing, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, there's definitely still times that I like, I push through um, when I shouldn't, but it's like the team needs me and, Um, yeah, I think recognizing that I'm still, I still am all those things, even though I can't do the things that I used to be able to do. Like some, some, uh, someone said, I mean, I found, I found Lyme people on social media and actually finding the like chronic illness sort of like community, I think is also what helped like kind of, yeah, just like focusing on the things you can do instead of things that you can't. And I think that was a really big thing for me of like recognizing, like, like being grateful for the times that I can be out in the field and like doing something hard um, instead of just when I'm in the office, like just um, being sad that I wasn't out there. Um, and also recognizing that as part of the evolution of the farm too, you know, as the business grew, um, I'm going to be needed for more like decision-making and planning and stuff like that. And other people, you know, our employees can do the harvesting and sort of passing that on. So it all kind of happened at the same time. I think we were in the process of, of me not harvesting as much or me not being in the field as much. I'm sort of like forced that to happen quicker than we expected it to. Um, But I think yeah, having, having the support from my husband and kind of like him saying, 
you know, that I'm, cause I would say like, oh, I don't, I don't have the energy to like fulfill my wifely duties, like, you know, to like to cook. And I mean, that's not his opinion either, but just like feeling like I wasn't providing to the relationship or whatever. Um, and him just like, not, not, um, I don't know, not loving me less because I couldn't do those things like helped reinforce that it was like, okay, that who I was, was changing. I don't know. No, and I think that's really because whether you're sick or not, you're going to change as you grow up. Right. And I think, Mm -hmm. and as your business grows up, so you, as your business was growing, you probably would have changed your role in some way anyway, but because you were sick, you use that and adapt it. And, and you didn't want to lose the parts of your identity that were so important to you that you can still maintain, right? And so I get what you're saying in that regard. And I think that's a really important lesson because sometimes I catch myself doing this. And I, especially in the past, I've caught myself doing this where you use your illness as a crutch to not do things that you can do because, you know, you're just thinking, I'm just too tired to even think about it. But, and you sort of lose who you are and who you can be and your potential because of your illness. So I, I totally get what you're saying there. So I do want to, Pivot back though. So just to kind of put a high level over what you did to treat. So I mean, you had third. You had you had um, you had twenty uh, twenty one days of antibiotics and really did nothing for you. Then then you waited a month. You went to this Lyme litter doctor for about I think it was two years. You treated with this Lyme litter doctor, mm-hmm. and it was the BC which was the game changer for you. So it was the anti-malaria medication you said right, which really was when you did that you started to feel better and you started to feel things kind of getting activated and coming out of your system and that was the game the first game changer in your your healing right mhm so yeah. but you did describe how how when you started the babesia medication you actually felt the toxins flowing through you and that was a really powerful way to describe it so can you explain to us what you know what did that feel like right because i think we've all felt odd sensations and things going on with our body with Lyme disease that we've never felt before Lyme. So how mm-hmm. can you explain to our listeners what that was like when you actually felt the toxins flowing through you? Um, like kind of like how your fingers, like if your arm fell asleep or whatever, that tingliness that is like, as it's kind of waking back up, like that un- uncomfortable, like tingliness, that's kind of what I was, what I was feeling. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I'm, I am also like a writer. And so just trying to like put into words exactly what I was feeling. I think sometimes, yeah, my husband would be like, that's like what it feels like, but he never, but he always like believed me. He never, you know, some, when I told my aunt, I felt like there was a force field around my head. I think she was like, what? And, you know, people didn't fully like um, understand or like, it felt like in the beginning, it felt like I was stuck at the beginning of a bad trip, like, you know, on like hallucinogens or something like where it was just like uncomfortable. You didn't fully understand what was going on. Your body felt weird, but yeah, you didn't get to experience the, like the fun part of it. It was like a bad, yeah, a bad trip. So like a lot of it was, um, yeah, I could refer back to my partying days, I guess. <laughs> but these are really powerful ways of describing how you feel. And I certainly can't put to words these feelings. And as you're saying these things, like the force field around your head, I'm like, wow, I know what you mean by that. Right. So I think that's mm-hmm. a skill that you have that I certainly don't to express how we're feeling and help people understand a little bit where we're coming from. So I, yeah. I do want to, so then, so then just kind of, kind of track your, your healing journey here. Right. So now you're with you're with Dr. Larry Everhart for about two years. And mm-hmm. at that point you kind of plateaued, you made a lot of progress, but you made it, you plateaued and you decided to go to another doctor. 
And that was Dr. I think uh, Dr. B referred to to them as. And that's, is that Dr. Mm -hmm. Valeria Basil Wicks? I'm probably mispronouncing yeah, her name. Yeah, that's why we call her Dr. B. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Yeah, <laughs> used to be Dr. Richie, and now she's Dr. Basil Wick, I think is how you say it. Basil Wick. So with Dr. Basil Wick, you went beyond just the Babesia and the antibiotics, which you were on with Dr. Everhart. And you started to do things like more herbal therapies, ozone, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and even mold remediation, because you probably realized that mold exposure is a chronic immune suppressor and you needed to remediate that to allow yourself to heal, right? So did I miss anything in any key parts there that you did as far as treatments or, you know, chronologically what you did to, in your healing journey? Um, well, I think, I mean, I talked about it a little bit, but the lymphatic drainage massage and like cupping. So we have, a, um, a friend that worked on the farm and then became a massage therapist. And so she sort of, she was learning about lymphatic stuff as she was practicing on me. And still now when I go in, she's like, Oh, I learned this new thing, you know, and I were willing to like try, but I think that was really helpful. Um, you know, when I took tests, I learned I had the, um, MTHFR, what the, the genetic, basically the genetic predisposition, predisposition to not detox very well. Um, and so the lymphatic drainage stuff helped with that. And in the beginning, you know, we didn't know, um, you know, not to press as hard, like you would on a, a knot in a muscle. Um, you know, it just needs kind of like, it's not like you're digging into like a muscle knot. It's, you know, more gentle stimulation. So in the, and then, and I was probably holding on to a lot of toxins, but in the beginning we would do that. And then I'd be in pain that night and I would herx. Um, so just kind of learning what kind of, what kind of stimulation the lymphatic system actually needed. And then, and then the cupping. So the back of my neck would, I mean, still it will just be like a wrenching knot sometimes. Um, and so like acupuncture and like massage and cupping now I'm seeing a chiropractor too. And that's been really helpful because that it's been helpful with like the, we found it's the top, the top vertebrae, the Atlas vertebrae. So literally where your skull like meets the top of your neck is where, um, where the like inflammation is happening, which explain you know, is part of the brain fog too, like actually inflammation in your head. Um, and so there are times after I see the chiropractor that it, that I will like have a herx afterwards, um, from, yeah, it must be releasing, releasing something in there. So I think that those, those things just helping with the release of things like have also been a have been a big part of it. And detox supports. Obviously, you mentioned yeah. the infrared sauna, the lymphatic massage, you were taking detox supplements, you mentioned, right? So on that note, do you recall any of the specific herbs that you've taken? And if any of them have been, you know, a direct cause and effect of you feeling better as you took that particular herb or blend? Um, yeah, so right now, I am taking something called Catacola Calm. It's from um, Designs for Health. I'm not sure exactly what is in it, but when I had, I had seen an herbalist and he, he, um, he knew that there was something wrong with my adrenal system. Um, but what he gave me was actually like an adrenal like boost. And so like, I wasn't sleeping at all. So this catacola calm is like, it helps calm down your adrenal system. And so I think that's been really helpful for me to, 
have something, you know, I was having a lot of anxiety and insomnia and, um, had asked my doctor, you know, if I could, if I could do like an anti-anxiety medication or antidepressant or something like that. And she was, this is what she suggested instead to, you know, cause she was like, you know, if you take that, that's also another like toxin, you know, there are other side effects that could happen. And like, do you want to try this herbal thing first? Um, yeah. And I did. And, and that has, has really helped. Um, so I don't know what herbs are in it though, but Sorry. I think some of no, the things the, that are by the name, I just, I but just, you know what you gave us I a product and it, it. Yeah. and it helped you with anxiety and stress. Right. So I think that's a really important tip there that people can go look up that particular name and find that, you know, mm-hmm. that blend and then see what's in it and possibly buy it because I mean, it may need that help, but yeah, so, you know, I here know. we are, right. I mean, you're, you're, we're a couple of years into this journey now, I guess what, three and a half years or so, right. Into this journey since your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And you're about 70% better. You're, you know, you've, you've done all of this great stuff. And Claire's going to talk to you about, you know, where you're at today, what you're looking to do in the future. But before I hand it over to Claire, I would like you, if you're comfortable, to talk a little bit more about like hormones and things like that, because your adrenals control hormones. And we've learned and we've interviewed some of the top doctors who tell us and have have proven that Lyme and co-infections actually mess up your hormone and they mess up your adrenals and your cortisol receptors actually get damaged. So your body doesn't recognize that cortisol is, enough cortisol is being produced. And it just, it's constantly spits out cortisol, which gives you that, like that stress drug. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you talk about things like your adrenals and your HPA balance, that's how people are able to un uh, you know, to, to really balance out their, their hormones. But on that note, you did talk about things with, with, you know, you had an IUD in, which was causing you problems with heavy metals. You talked about, you had a, I think it was a depot shot right as well, which caused mm-hmm. a flare for your Lyme disease. And there are a lot of feminine related issues that Rich and I frankly just can't relate to or speak about on this podcast. And it sounds like you're very open to that. So if you're mm-hmm. comfortable, is anything else that you're willing to share with, you know, maybe have a discussion with Claire before she picks up on where you're at today, that can be helpful for our female listeners. I mean, we've heard, have, we, we've identified, unfortunately, a large subset of the Lyme community suffers from endometriosis. We've, we've identified that a lot of things like depot shots, we have other guests tell us this, have been major flares for triggers. And this IUD piece is a new piece here as well. So if you're, if it's not too much information mm-hmm. and it's not too personal, if you can share any tips you have in that area with Claire and um, she'll pick that up with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you know, saying 70% healed, I think I've been saying that for a couple of years now, like something I've realized is like, you don't realize how sick you were until you start to feel better. And so there's times where you're like, that's why it's said, you know, you're, I think I'm 75% now, but then, you know, once I start to feel better, is that, will that perception of how well I actually am right now change? And something else that we've, I've talked with my husband about is like, you know, I'm obviously not going to be my 33 year old self that I was when that was the best I've like felt about my body at that point in time, as far as like physical fitness and, um, so like, what is the expectation of like, what, what is healed? You know, like it's hard to like, it's hard to put a finger on like what percentage you actually feel because it's like, what, what do you expect a hundred percent to look like for you? I don't know. Um, so that's been like an interesting thing that has, you know, that what I've been thinking about a lot since I filled out your questions. <laughs> um, So, but yes, I think that 
I was, um, I guess, surprised that there, I mean, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but th there wasn't a lot of information out there about sort of like birth control methods and sort of and like for women, because I know that there are a lot of women with Lyme. Um, and yeah, the IUD was what I was doing before. I had had issues with hormonal stuff before. So I had been on hormonal stuff since I was 16, taking the pill. Um, once I got to, you know, 30 something, I was like, I've been doing this more than half of my life. And I just don't, didn't feel okay. Like I felt like the hormones. So I was already on this journey of like trying to figure out what else I could do, like what else the options were. And so the copper IUD is what I landed on because it's non, non-hormonal. Um, and it was a great option for a while. I think I had it for a year or two before we took it out. Um, but yeah, it was just like holding on to bacteria. Basically, it was a place where the bacteria could collect and I would have I would have like shooting pains um, and it was like, oh, well, maybe pulled a muscle or, you know, like people. The bacterial infection was deep. It was like up in my cervix. And so it was like they would do sometimes they, they would do like a pap smear or whatever. And it wasn't it wasn't testing for anything. So it was like just another one of those things where like nobody believed me that it was like, there was something going on. I could tell there was something going on. I could feel it, you know? Um, yeah. So we took, took the IUD out. And then at that point in time, I was 35 um, and had been a smoker, like smoke, you know, a cigarette a day was on my way out of, of that life, but also, that being over 35 and having that history meant that they couldn't give me anything that had um, estrogen in it. So the doctors, doctors are not allowed to because it increases your risk for cancer. So, um, so my only options were progesterone, which was the depo shot, basically. So we did the depo shot and I asked her, I was like, my, you know, before the reason I had an IUD is because before the hormonal stuff, like wasn't working for my system. Like it was, you know, I felt like I was very neutral. Like I wasn't, I wasn't experiencing the, um, the downs in life, but I also wasn't experiencing like a joy. I was just trying to like have that hormonal balance. And so I was like, are you sure that injecting like multiple months worth of hormones into me at one time is like a good idea? but there was really not my, my OBGYN had just quit the practice because she wanted to be a stay at home mom. So this is a new doctor and didn't know my history and also didn't know anything about Lyme. And, um, you know, was kind of like, yeah, yeah. Like I, whatever this is, you know, if this isn't what you want to do, we don't have to do it right now. And I was like, well, we have to do something like, cause, because, um, you know, my husband and I, like are not trying to have kids right now. And I can't have kids right now because of like Lyme can be transferred and we're just like trying to be safe. So we did the depo shot, um, in October of, of, I think it was, it's 20. Yeah. Anyways, basically. So I didn't have a period for a whole year. So you're supposed to get the depo shot quarterly. You're supposed to go every three months. Um, so the whole, the like residual effects that caused a significant like Lyme flare, which I should have known because that, that's what I thought was like, if you inject all these hormones that it's going to do that, but 
that wasn't really like validated at the time. Um, yeah. And then when I went in, they were like, well, if you're having issues, you know, usually if you're having issues, it means you're bleeding more. So if you're bleeding, you're, if you're not bleeding at all, then that's, you know, just come back if it doesn't in like six months, if it doesn't like regulate, sounds like your body's been through a lot is what she said, you know, with the antibiotics and things like that. Um, so now I'm doing natural cycles, which you can either use that program to get pregnant or to not get pregnant. Um, it tracks your ovulation. You take your temperature every morning. Um, it has been a really great tool for us that has worked. That means it's a non-hormonal thing that I'm on. I don't have the metal in my body anymore. And I still have the option of, you know, of not, yeah, not having children right now, like with this method. So it is more work. You got to take your temperature before you get out of bed every morning. Um, and then it took, I think about six months for it to actually pick up on my like patterns or whatever. And I think that's also because I was coming off of the, the depot shot. Um, so now that's what I'm, what I'm doing. So yeah, for any Lyme women out there, um, I had read this book that was, you know, 300 pages long or whatever, that was about tracking your fertility. And I was just like, I do not have the time to like do all of that every day. So natural cycles is like an app and it sort of tracks that stuff for you. You can input your data and, and it helps with the algorithm, like calculate. So that way I didn't have to try to like do all of that myself. So that has been a good natural way. Yeah for me and um yeah hope that at some point if we decide yeah we just hadn't decided if we wanted to have children or not so that's what they were like your husband should just get a vasectomy and it's like we're not there yet you know like there's still an option uh we still like want the option and so this was kind of the best way to have that option yeah so do you feel like your hormonal symptoms around, you know, your menstrual cycle and all those things they've, have they gotten better or are they the same? Tell me kind of where you feel like you've come from, from there. Cause I know, I know a lot of women that that's the one thing that they're stuck on with it. That's the one thing I'm stuck on with my Lyme journey is that I have regular menstrual cycles, but I have extreme pain and I'm down for like a week every month. Mm -hmm. So tell me about like your progress, where you feel like you've come with it. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, my symptoms, I do, I do have some, some, some symptoms with the hormonal flare, you know, each month now. Um, yeah. I mean, just yesterday I had to go in and take a nap, <laughs> um, after work before we like hung out with our friends or whatever. Cause it was just like, I was exhausted and yeah. And in pain. So, so that does happen where, yeah, I have cramps and like bloating kind of back to natural, those na natural hormonal swing situations, but it's better than what I was dealing with before. And, you know, having, I mean, I had what we thought was yeast, like a bad yeast infection, but ended up being bacterial or whatever for like four months. So that's like, now it just is like, well, it's a few days of like, feeling bad, but at least it's not, at least it's not that. So, um, that's kind of where, where I'm at right now. So it does, 
I do have a swing, you know, a, and um, an emotional one too, a few, like a few days before the period starts, but, um, but it's better than what I was dealing with <laughs> before. So it's kind of the best of the, yeah, the best of the options that exist out there for me right now. Yeah, for sure. I'm so glad that you've seen improvement. I think it's so important that we talk about things like this because I feel like women have this ideal that we're not supposed to talk about those things. Those are like the sicknesses you don't talk about. And that's Mm -hmm. definitely how I felt growing up and having all these issues um, and then realizing that it's okay to talk about these things. And so I think that's really going to help our listeners who are women who suffer from these things to realize that this is like almost normal that women struggle with this. So Thank you yeah. for sharing your story with that. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And I've talked to a friend who has had a baby and it's like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm just afraid that my body's not going to be able to, to do that. And, you know, we know that right now I'm not in remission yet. And so it's, it's maybe not, not, you know, it's not a right now thing, but she was like, you know, you'll also be surprised at like at what it will heal to like, as just like be knowing what your body can do. kind of and like how healing that can be and so there's potential that that's in in our future we'll we'll see we'll see how Lyme goes and you know what what we decide but um the business has been our child so far so for sure well um that kind of takes me into the next question talking about like I think that is in your future I think you have hope I think there's always hope for these things to be in the future yeah Um, so part of my message from the beginning of when I started my chronically beautiful life blog was to say that I don't like using the term chronically ill. I don't like saying that I'm chronically ill. I like to say I'm chronically beautiful. And then I tell my story. And so Mm -hmm. I want to hear from you. um, What about you is chronically beautiful from all of this that you've been through? Obviously you've had immense suffering in your journey, but there are beautiful things that come out of all of this suffering. So tell me about the beautiful in your life. What have you learned? How have you grown into the person? You talked about how you had an identity crisis, but it seems like you're a lot more solid in your identity now. So tell me about who you are now and what is the beautiful in your journey? I think just learning to be learning to have more grace with myself. Like I'm very understanding and like loving and caring with other people, but that was not really, not really trans transferred to how I treated myself. Um, and so I think that is, that is part of it and being open to asking what you actually, what I actually need, um, instead of kind of powering through, um, And I think that talking about it, like, is if one person can, like, feel any better by hearing me talk about it. And I think that's why I share about it on social media and stuff is like, yeah, I've learned so much from others. And that's how it was, like, in the farming world, too. Like, we've learned so much from, like, mentors that now we teach online classes and, you know, speak at conferences and stuff. And so it's, like, that that also happened with the Lyme world, where it's, like, I learned so much from other people who were just willing to share that, yeah, that I hope that me sharing my story can sort of pass that on to, to the next 
generation of people who need to hear it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think so many people get that that breakthrough when they come through and they realize that there is good because we can share this now with people so that now people, the more people we have sharing our story, the more people are going to hear about it and more people are going to understand because there's so much misunderstanding about Lyme disease. So mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. So final question, if you could go back to when you were 33 years old and you had no idea what was ahead of you, what, what would you tell yourself? To be grateful for the body I was in. Like, I think that's something that I realize now I took for granted was being able-bodied and just like knowing that things will change, you know, getting older, but Sorry. Because I look back and I I didn't know. I definitely took for granted like what my body was capable of. And I think that that's what that's why I try and talk about it also in like the in the farming world where it's like you know, it's a high pressure job and your body depends on you is like, that's why it's even more important to the talk about like self-care and mental health and stuff is because otherwise you can push yourself to the edge, you know? And, and I think I was doing that. And that's why, like, that was something else that led to being a vulnerability of like, why I got so sick is because I was pushing it to, to the extreme of, you know, and not sleeping that well and being super stressed and not eating that, that well. And, um, just like not taking care of myself. And so, yeah, now looking back, if I, um, yeah, could tell myself that of just being like, you know, take a minute for yourself and, you know, go. So I try to do like, I've, try to do like on Sundays, go get a massage or, you know, that's when I would go to the sauna or something and, and really like building that into the regular routine of like actually listening to what your body needs. Well, thank you so much, Gretel. I think you are a beautiful person and I have loved listening to your story. I've loved, I've related to a lot of your story. Um, and so really appreciate you coming on here. Matt, is there anything else you want to add? No, I just want to thank Gretel. Thank you so much. Claire, thank you for being guest co-host here. You were amazing. And I think this is a great friendship that we just formed here. So thank you again for joining the Tick Bootcamp podcast, Gretel. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Gretel Adams. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Gretel, please visit her Instagram page at Flower Farmette. Second, if you enjoyed the episode of Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that is inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note, we appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. 
And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, on social media, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you share with us. Thank you for listening.